0: Before after before. (laughs)
1: They turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. Hi Tim. Oh hi Ryan. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. And hello, Carly. Hi, hi, Ryan. Hi, Tim. Great to see you both. Great to see you both. And great, even though we can't see you, it's great to to feel you nonetheless, future people for us. This is episode 117 by my count. Wow. Of dismembering whore. Tim, I can see your face double checking. I'm not already? I'm just I'm surprised. <laughs> that's so many.
2: That's amazing. It's yeah. prolific.
1: We made it. Um, Yes, 117 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast shoe, where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and with me as always is... Um, Oh, myself, Tim Aslan? (laughs) We talk (laughs) about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. We give them a true dismemberant, dismembering, sorry. This will be a dismemberment. After the fact, <laughs> and today to is. join us <laughs> to, today to join us in said dismemberment. You may have heard another voice so far, and you would not be mistaken.
2: I'm a ghost. <laughs> we have oh, with us that'd be so actually, awesome.
1: <laughs> appropriately, we have with us so. Carly, uh, I'm going to give you, this is my, this is in my words here. So please, I'd love to hear it in your words after the fact. I hope I, I, hope I do you okay. But Carly joining us today, she is a, a thespomancer, as I've known her to have as a handle, <laughs> which I think is very appropriate, which you'll see, you break that down as a thespian necromancer.
2: That's she right. <laughs> is
1: <laughs> I know her as too first and foremost not I'd say for first not foremost a theater director whose shows I would consistently go see and was consistently impressed with and lured in every time in a way I'm not usually with theater so thank you as always for that Carly she is a sex educator intimacy coordinator which we'll hear more about and as I like to put it, also an all around facilitator of realms both unknown and unknowable. And applicable to our podcast, she is a co host for very own podcast called Intimacy, Choreography, and in Conversation with Ann James and Carly D. Wexstein. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome with me. Carly D. Wexton.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. That was an awesome introduction. Most people don't include Thespomancer, and I <laughs> appreciate that. My primary identity is a theater witch.
1: <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, and also for a little context for our listeners, um, we record this two weeks ahead of time, so we are recording this the day after Election Day here in the United States. So that's where we're at on top of having watched this Gaspar No film, Climax, that... <laughs> um how are how are you carly yeah how are you doing thanks for being here despite all this we really appreciate it
2: oh of course i feel like you know votes i voted that's what was in my power and now we're just kind of in an anxiety waiting game and so it's good to be in good company with good distractions in the meantime (laughs) great
0: (laughs) we should spend the entire podcast just correlating the themes of this film that we watched to the elections
1: <laughs> oh, exclusively. God. Oh god. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll get well yes, as we'll get into boundaries and 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 lack thereof, I'm sure uh, yeah. it will be there in some some way. Uh and Carly, was there anything else uh, as far as my my intro to you, you could clarify or in your own words or even just uh, tell us a bit about your podcast, please.
2: Um, sure. No, that I mean, that was that was great. I, I primarily, yeah, work as a, a theater director um, and a sex educator and um, intimacy director. I, I do intimacy mostly for stage. There's like this, I don't know, l- whole lingo debate. So technically coordinators for film. and I don't do quite quite mm. as much of that. Um, I'm a a, a true thespian at heart. Um, But yeah, I have a podcast with an amazing, sparkling being named Ann James. And she is an intimacy spectacular specialist all around um, who created uh, Intimacy Coordinators of Color. And we have a podcast um, where we talk about intimacy choreography kind of in a candid, casual way with questions that people want to ask. It's just really about Uh, the podcast, we wanted to make the information more accessible about how folks are kind of shifting performance spaces towards a culture of consent.
1: Awesome. 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 And I thought, you know, something, even though I almost sort of connected the strings more so after the fact, uh, having watched the film again, I think maybe I thought of you for this one because it is so much about the sort of when boundaries you know the importance of boundaries and how there's almost like an inherent um you know as in the what horror gets into so we- so well a paradox of like boundaries are very real and also very not real and you know you lace over things like psychedelic infused dance horror it it gets <laughs> into some interesting spaces um with all that
2: oh yeah oh
1: yeah <laughs> Great. Um, And something before we start to sort of check up with you and our listeners about a lot of what the spirit of the show is. Yes, we like to dismember, dive in deep and all that. But I also like to think this is kind of keeping the dream alive of just getting together with friends and watching a horror movie and getting to talk openly about it. Uh, As many horror films are, they can be just... Inexplicable and indelible, and kind of like fun in that sense, whether they're good or bad to break down. So, something Tim and I, an ongoing discussion we have this show, is the role of criticism. In art and creativity, where we'll do one episode where we rag on Insidious Four and how mad we are about it, and then I feel immediate like remorse the next day of like, oh, but all these people who worked hard on it, <laughs> and then we, you know, talk about like, well, yeah, but we need to make stuff better, and I don't know, I don't know, any 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 thoughts on just that as a general topic to set the stage, what we're doing here, and how how this can play a role in in art overall.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think I I totally hear you on that and I feel that way too. Like as an artist who knows how much work goes into creating something. Um but I do also think there is a place for criticism and feedback like we can't grow if we don't have that and <laughs> and just thinking about like the power that stories have to influence individuals and society. So like I think we need to be able to have a critical eye and ask like, why are we telling these stories or um, have that conversation at least?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, I mean, like, part of me feels like there's this, cause we talk, we kind of like Ryan's saying, we have this, this kind of back and forth of like, I'll get very heated about something and critical of something and be like, yeah, but if you just did it this way, it would be so much better. And, and like, yeah, that's, that's critical. Um, but it's all it's not necessarily like uh condemnation right and i think sometimes when i say it it, say, it seems like it's condemnation because i'm worked <laughs> up but like i i just recently bought a uh a new uh camera just just for photography i mean i'll use it for video stuff or whatever but i specifically bought it cuz i wanted to go shoot like mostly landscape stuff and very quickly i was like I don't know what I'm doing, even though I do, right? Like, it's – there's always this room – and a friend of mine is a photographer, so I'd, like, send her some of the pictures I've been taking, and she'd be like, yeah, that one's okay, but this one's better. And I'd be like, the initial sting of criticism because I'm like, I think I know what I'm doing, and I feel good about it. And then you have somebody with a critical eye comment on it, and you go, ah, but they're not wrong. So it's like (laughs) – you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, their their opinion is valid even if you disagree with it or you feel like it's it's making you feel criticized or whatever. Or that's kind of up to you as to whether or not you want to take that and use it and, and strive to be better and learn more. Or if you want to just be like, well, fuck you. I don't like your opinion. You know? And yeah. so yeah. I hope that, like, any – of the criticism that we throw at at the filmmakers or, or whoever is not overtly received as just a like, you know, Oh, they're just trashing us. Cause I don't really feel like that's our goal at all. Even if it comes off (laughs) sometimes like that.
2: (laughs) I love that. I, I think that that's, I I think that we often take criticism really personally. I mean, I certainly (laughs) do and can be really sensitive to that, but like, How much more would we gain if we could kind of release the defensiveness and taking that personally and be like, oh, this is kind of like a gift of generosity. Somebody cares about this enough to take the Mm. time to like think and say, this was amazing and this could be better. Or even this wasn't amazing and this is what could be better. Like, you know, if you really don't care, you just don't even put in the energy to like comment. So,
1: Mm. I like that. That way of looking at it is like there's no such thing as a bad review, which is a cool way to think about it. Yeah, attention is being given. I love that. Great. Um, so, yeah, the today's, today's film from 2018, 10 years after our last film, Mirrors, is <laughs> very different film a from de- today. What a departure. <laughs> um, yes. We talk about Gaspar Noe's Climax, uh, have you guys seen any of his other movies that he's famous for? so there's um love irreversible I've seen irreversible and the enter the void Oh I, I haven't think seen, I've seen any of the them the void too
2: i I have not seen any of them. honestly, I'm kind of ish a newbie relatively to to horror. um shout out to my wonderful partner, Zach Brown, who is the person who got me like into horror because it's something I always kind of was fascinated with, but like kind of shied away from. Um, and he very much just kind of opened my mind about it and showed me some great stuff. So I'm, I'm newer on my journey.
1: (laughs) Great. Great. we I started so broad here. I should have asked some more point questions about your relationship to horror (laughs) No, all, all that. Um, I'm glad you said that. And that's the same, Zach Brown, you just referred to one of the same who requested we watched Mears last week. So we're having it's a great, um, it's a great a one-two punch of you two. Oh,
2: amazing! Yeah, you got gotta get him, <laughs> gotta get him on here to talk about some horror movies. He's <laughs> he's got a legion of knowledge and opinions.
1: <laughs> great, great. Look forward to that day. But we are still very much at the beginning of this day. Yes. So next up. In order to get into our discussion on climax, we start the trailer. Are you two ready? Sure. Yeah. All right. Here we go from 2018. Climax. If you couldn't dance, what would you do?
0: Mm, so sad.
1: Ça représente quoi la danse pour toi? C'est tout pour moi. La danse, c'est tout pour moi. J'ai que ça. Est-ce que t'es. Euh... t'es prêt à beaucoup de choses pour réussir? C'est-à-dire. Oh, you're so good. Thank you like Thank it? I'm so happy. I couldn't be happier. Oh! All right. Climax. Climax. (laughs) There you have it, folks. At least the partial trailer for you listening of Climax. Uh, We hope you've watched it if you're listening to this. But either way, we welcome welcome you here. So, first, to start off, Carly, I'm going to be putting you on the spot a lot first here because we're excited to have you as our guest. Per our rating system, Carly, would Carly tell Carly to... Avoid Climax, Stream Climax, Rent Climax, or Buy Climax?
2: I would say Rent Climax. That's that's what I'm feeling. Like, I would definitely tell Carly, watch this movie, but I wouldn't be like, you need to own this movie and watch it repeatedly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And uh, do you have a little in-summary review for why that is? Or?
2: Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I think it's, it it definitely is very disturbing. Um, it, I enjoyed like the visual audio experience of it so much. It was also like, I really felt like it's a film and a story that's supposed to be a film. Like they got the correct medium for telling the story. And I think that that was just like the, it was so technically well executed and just like watching the dance sequences was a true fucking highlight for me. Um, but I guess I would say not not own because um, it's not necessarily something like it was very disturbing and it's not necessarily something I'm like, oh, I'm going to like watch this like again and again. <laughs> it's kind of a special event viewing for me.
1: Yeah. Timbo, how about you, Bo? I'm the same.
0: It's good and it's I enjoyed watching it. I think it's artistically quite, quite amazing. Um. But for me, because I, I so much more enjoy narrative type storytelling, it's not really my thing, even though I think it's wonderful and like like technically executed and quite amazing. Uh, and I, like I like it. I enjoyed watching it, but I don't feel compelled to watch it any other time I mean maybe well, <laughs> right. like someday if it's on or whatever and I
1: come across it I'll be like oh yeah I'll watch this again but not like I don't need to own it and Tim that does come down to not so much in the, the horrific sense for you but in that as you put the narrative sense because like other mm-hmm. films like Possession r- really got to us but yet that was a, a sure fire by it so it it's is just, just more uh, yeah, the kind of true. narrative it is
0: yeah yeah but I feel well that's a good comparison, actually. I think there were possession vibes in this, um, but possession. The, I think what really separates them for me is n- like being able to latch onto character. Like I know who whose story I'm following, and and climax is a different monster. It's an ensemble, a total ensemble yeah. thing. So it's just less my thing, I guess.
1: Hmm. I I was kind of wavering, honestly, between rent it and buy it, and mine almost does come down more to that the that technical side of it, where I could see me if I rented this again someday and had my big screen theater and like you know total blasting you know speakers, which I do have now, which is pretty great. But you get what I'm saying. I just, yeah, for that sheer technical experience, just like, yeah, put it in the collection. It's it's so stellar in that regard. Kind of the the hangups that you guys might have had, like, it is so horrific to me, so much of it. But that, <laughs> just like a lot of things that makes me want to, like, take ownership of it and in this case, literally own it. Like, I want to own to understand and, like, share with others on a whim. Um yeah, and then uh, I I will get into it. But the um, the, the non central character thing is something that was a big uh, plus for me in this case. But since um, I I don't know I I'm not it's just so on the cusp. But I think for where I'm at with it right now, I will tell Ryan to surely rent it, which um, I was happy to do. Actually, it was hey, it was free streaming on Amazon. But, yes, if (laughs) I had not had to pay for it, uh, then, yeah, definitely rent it. But, hey, really high rent it for me. I'm still almost honest mulling it after a second viewing. I I will say one other thing in regards to, like,
0: uh, what I like about it, I guess. If if my goal was purely to, to get deep into the, like, analysis of film this to me that like this would be a movie to own for that reason you know because there's so much going on and i think that you could spend lots and lots of time peeling back all sorts of different things from an analytical standpoint, whether it be thematic or compositional or, you know, character or just general archetypal stuff like that. This movie is like a just a, a deep well of uh, of those things. So I think from that standpoint, I would be a buy. But since that's like if I were like a professor of film, I'd be like, you all need to own this. <laughs> but I'm not. So I don't need to own it for myself.
1: Awesome. Well, that gets me jazzed just to talk about all exactly that stuff, Tim, that you mentioned, <laughs> and get into it. Um, but first, hey, next after our rating, before we get to what worked, is our summary. So, so we're all here to assist each other. But Carly, this is just fun and in the spirit of we want to hear uh, in well in your words. Let's if you could start us off at least. What would you say to someone? They say, "Well, so what happened in this movie? What's it about?"
2: Um, like just generally, like overall, really crystallized, or just like this is how it
0: starts.
1: Um, uh, yeah, giving a whole a whole start to finish, but not in like the play by play, right? Sense, right. But just kind of like a well, what's in the yeah. wow, well, What happens? Uh,
2: I'd say it's it's an ensemble dance horror movie, <laughs> which is an awesome phrase in itself um, about a young parisian troupe or young french troupe of dancers and i think they're about to like go on tour to america or something and they have this big incredible rehearsal um and it flows right into an after party and somebody has laced the sangria with some gnarly ass drugs and then shit just breaks really bad
1: <laughs> and that you know that's honestly it what <laughs> yeah. is it right <laughs> <laughs> like
0: what else is yeah. there i think one um, of the big things that like and i mean obviously we will kind of pick this apart but the the uh how do i describe this there's sort of a delineation line or marker between the what you said, the the actual rehearsal and, like, the artistic sort of everybody's together making a thing and feeling good and then the line that that bleeds into as the after party starts and then the world, like, turns upside down once the drug kicks in. Right. And that, those two, if you want to be broadly, say, the first and second act of the movie, even though it's not really structured that way, but, you know, the first half and the second half like the that that upside down world is is wild and like <laughs> I, you know watching something devolve into whatever madness or whatever i think that's the, the you know and the fitting title that that's
1: what leads us to the sort of climax of <laughs> climax yeah the only other element i'll I'll mention for the summary is there is you you are at least i was hanging my hat a little bit on these interpersonal connections going on and not so much that that like like we're st- following those as story but that's just at least something else that is going on and i say play will play into the which i think is so interesting and we'll get into is the group as protagonist in a sense mm. um
2: yeah yeah so
1: yeah even though there's not like actual story character stuff going on. There is story character stuff going on.
2: Right. I I loved that and and I thought they they captured kind of the essence of a party and the different conversations and the web of that really well and and this.
1: Great. Well how about we we start off with that exactly for our next section titled aptly What worked?
0: What what worked for you? What worked for you? you? like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what,
1: worked? what worked for you? Might you phrase that again for us, Carly, what you just said?
2: One thing that really worked for me is the uh, the way that they wove that this is an ensemble piece and not just a one protagonist piece. Um, from both the the intro section, which I loved, which was like the... TV framed by, like, books and movies. Like, Suspirio was on there, which was awesome. and um, Possession interview- was
0: on there, too, oh, actually. Shit. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> and interviewing, like, starting off with an interview of these characters asking them things. Um, that kind of weaves the ensemble. And then once they start the party right after the rehearsal, before it really devolves, when the drugs were, like, just starting to kick in, um, there's this amazing kind of jumping around between all the... Side conversations in groups of two or three, um, which that that was a really cool part for me that worked great.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, I think one of the bigger successes, even though like I'm not like I said, I, I'd rather kind of latch on to like one or two characters and really follow along their story. But like that section of the movie, well, both those sections, the the interviews and then this sort of post rehearsal, it's almost a montage of conversation between varying groups and and, and individuals and whatnot but the the ability of those two sections to show us who these people are on such a distinct level then allows us to like leave that and then as the story progresses into just a total ensemble we're just watching things unfold we don't we got enough To know who everybody is for any action that happens afterwards to make sense right like we get where everybody's at we understand why they're freaking out or behaving the way they're behaving once they are really uh drugged or whatever um and like i think that's a pretty brilliant you know uh the ability to do that in such a distinct and succinct way to get us to the second half of the movie is really, really quite amazing because you know everything you need to know about. It's like twenty people, yeah. right? And you know <laughs> yeah. everybody.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly, yeah, it's just what I wanted to add on to. It was With that amount of people, how smart just to start the film that way with just giving them each, like, all essentially equal time just to go down one by one, get the senses, get the stories of them, and then immediately, or not immediately, but next layer on top of that, their interpersonal connections. And just with all that, I want to say, like, it's... So much about this film makes me want to, like, it's easy to label it experimental or, like, in in certain ways, which it is, you know, less conventional in certain ways. But I just thought it was so brilliant and why I think it works so well is even if it, yeah, at first glance it feels like, yeah, it's so different, so weird. But the structure is just so simple. Like, just think about, like, what that intro scene does is just, like, this is the introduction. We are meeting the characters. In, done, boom, bam, out. And then, same with, and then we just, and then they dance, they take the drug, and then it's just, and then we get the like the actual opening credits, I think at 45 minutes into it, and then we're into the horror. There's also, Um, you
0: know, what it's, what this, the first half essentially is doing that I think is, is on sort of a subconscious level, so kind of brilliant is that in the interview section, effectively, Everybody's answering questions and pointing at the same thing, which is I would literally do anything to be an artist and to express my art through dance. Everybody effectively answers that essential question the same basic way, which is like I'd rather die than not be able to dance. And so what that does is it it shows group cohesion. And then the next thing we see is them l- physically doing group cohesion in their dance and everybody's into it and everybody's congratulatory and everybody's loving it. And then we hard cut to individuality. And so you start this sort of dominoes of like, we're all together. We're all together. We're all a group. And then you very abruptly go, actually, we all have individual point of views, points of view, and. There's a lot of, uh, what would you call it, sort of like divergent attitudes toward each other on an individual basis. And that then leads us into when things go kind of crazy, where we like the dominoes or the snowball has been rolling down the hill for us and it's all just splintering apart. And I think that's really, really cool from a broad structural point of view to like, It's almost like fooling us as an audience into like getting on board with them and then like the horror is kind of watching that all fall apart. This beautiful thing, right? The beautiful idea of (laughs) this group having this bond together and they've only known each other for three days but they're vibing and they're hitting it out and they're dancing together and everything's great and working and then you watch it all just fall apart. That's pretty – Cool and horrific in a way. It's priming us for the scary part of the movie.
2: Yeah, I'm just not over that first dance sequence also. Like, that was (laughs) so cool. And also, I think it was shot so well. Like, dance is not always shot well on film. But, like, that they had full body movement, like the um, bird's eye view. Like, you could see... You could see the bodies move. You could see the technical like prowess and incredible skill of these dancers, which was just a blast. And in having it situated kind of between those two, like the interviews and then the individual party conversations in that dance sequence, there's also kind of these moments of where like each dancer is highlighted. So it's kind of like their interview, not with words, but with their body and their art. Um, which Mm -hmm. I thought was so cool. And then exactly as you said, Tim, in those individual conversations, then this group becomes fractured. We've seen this amazing thing that they can do together and individually together toward like the shared goal. And then we see like all the contention between them.
0: Actually, and that makes me realize that the next thing we see is back to dancing, but in a totally different mode, right? It's individuals in the middle of the circle being observed by the other group which yes. is so different than what we get at the opening which is this group everybody's kind of working together on the same page now we splintered into this totally different point of view which is us observing the individual in this kind of ominous way right like circling somebody and and being like do your thing is a pretty aggressive and intense you know, way to express yourself or to have somebody express themselves in front of the group.
2: And it it foreshadows the really violent mob mentality that comes, like, very shortly (laughs) after that.
0: Yeah. So it's, like, it's so clearly so well... I mean, this is kind of a stupid thing to say in a way, but it's so well thought out, right? And I, I think it's... I guess that's really just to say that it's nice when you... Watch a movie where you go, I feel good because I know I'm in really good hands. You know, like this right. filmmaker and these artists, they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> and That's that's so, not always <laughs> the case.
1: <laughs> um, Tibby said some words in there about, like, yeah, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing of them coming together, creating this this thing as a group. Um and seeing that all devolve at the end, but what i I thought was so interesting about the the sort of those first scenes of them talking to each other and quote unquote spilling the tea. it feels like kind of is the the mode of uh of how they're talking that for me it's you know the 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 sort of discontent despite this beautiful thing they just made together is like it's it's there already. it's not just planting the seeds but it's already letting us observe them where it's like let's see they're more sort of like laid back, dare I say, selfish selves, you know, um, start to, yeah, start to pick up on those dynamics too. And I just think that's really fascinating in the context of dance. You see this performance they do as a group and it's like this collective, you know, thing they create together and they're like totally losing themselves to the, the music and the dance itself. Yet also I know with a kind of artistic, any artistic endeavor, but with that, you just see them doing it physically. You're putting all those things that they just set up about their worries, whatever their problems, their inner dynamics there, you're also putting that into whatever artistic piece you're doing. So it's just this weird thing where it's like, at one point I'm looking at this dance as just, they're totally losing themselves despite all their tension. And another point I'm looking at it as they are diving full into their tensions, you know?
0: Yeah, there is there is a thought that I had as the – it was sort of right after the rehearsal had ended and you can see that like we start to move into individuals and their the, the interpersonal stuff. And I remember thinking, man, it really sucks that – this is cynical to say, but it, I had the thought, the cynical thought of like – you know, it's kind of true that in any like group artistic endeavor, there's there's often this very finite period of time when everybody's on the same page and vibing and that never lasts, right? For whatever reason, good or bad, it, it just is not something that can carry on forever, and it made me kind of bummed and like reflective of like experiences i've had where it's like you know if you're on a film set you're on that set for three days or 30 days or whatever it is and then you all go your separate ways kind of and that there's this like to me kind of a sadness always following that like breakup of the the artistic group and like on the flip side those bonds i think are often some of the stronger bonds that you form with people in in a group setting when you're all working together toward like a common goal, and that's one of the great things of group artistic endeavor to me, but like there was I was like, "I know this movie's going to get bad." <laughs> I was <laughs> like, "Oh, how sad We shit's going to hit the fan, and we've we've just watched the last moment of everybody being on the same page. Do you have a thought
1: on that Carly? Or? Oh,
2: um sure. well, I I I, par- I, I both agree and disagree <laughs> and just to turn, this is more like theoretical than just in in the film, but, um, you know, I, I don't think it's impossible to like recreate scenarios to have like group artistic collaboration success. I think when you care when you mindfully curate a space, you can make that pretty frequently. Um, with some level of dependability, but I do also agree as a as a theater person. Part of the magic of the theater is that it's ephemeral, and you know, you in different ways you work longer or shorter depending. Than on a on a film project, but you know, it's like we rehearse for months and then you run for this amount of time, and then it's done forever. <laughs> there's not even a record of it, and there is something really sad. But I, I think there's something that like maybe makes it even more like beautiful or precious like while you're in it and and to bring it back to to climax i mean they're they were about to go on tour so there's this kind of extension of that but they are absolutely popping that bubble of the rehearsal space in this period where they're like super bonded as you said tim in this really special bond that happens to people I don't know, in, in my experience, maybe only when they are like really working together towards the same creative goal, like a shared vision, a shared goal, this kind of amazing unity and bonding that happens and just like the the tragedy in this movie that it falls apart so quickly.
1: Yeah. It's it just gave me the thought that like you talk about that, like where, you know, that that bonding that happens, I think that's why it was so smart and honestly key to this story that this takes place at the way beginning of a tour. It sounds like, you know, they're almost in dire need of uh, you or someone like you, Carly, there (laughs) to kind of like, just, I don't know, facilitate this idea that when they're all there, before they go on this thing and work out all those tensions, let's say naturally or let the dynamics play out and then have this experience to fall back on together, rather than that, they're just at the place now where it's only those, those weird tensions that haven't sort of you know, coalesced and, you know, or maybe it is just more the lack of them having had the experience to then bond over. Um, but I don't think it would work the same way, you know, as far as if, you know, especially once they they take the LSD and it's supposed to bring out and manifest all these things they're keeping inside and these tensions, you know, become seen. Um, yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty... Uh, Cool too to think
0: like I, I was listening to your last episode of of your podcast and thinking about how we've we've moved into a time where consideration for boundaries and for um what's the term um consent and, and things like that within an artistic space like that was never a thing in my experience until the last few years right like and and just thinking back to the times when we needed that so badly and how how much not having it really fucked with our ability as a group to to make a good thing like it was just it's so the like when it's when you don't have guidance within that realm (laughs) The ability for even just one person to infect the entire project and take it down because of their inability to behave appropriately is crazy. I've been on a bunch of projects like that. I mean, not recently, but back in the day, like college, college era stuff. Oh, my God. And watching this, I was like man, this is hitting a little close to home here, like watching how inappropriate everybody is. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, we were like that when we were in college, weren't we? Fuck.
2: Well, I mean, I just think that, you know, humans and artists, both of those categories were not really taught like you're allowed to have boundaries and that's a valuable thing and you can actually do better work and have a sustainable career as an artist <laughs> if you practice that. But it's, yeah, it's, it's so wild. Like now we're all like, duh, of course we need that, but just take us back not that long ago. And and it just was not a, a standard thing, which I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder what <laughs> the like intimacy coordination and discussions like that uh, were on this, on this set, which I have a yeah. lot of thoughts and feelings about. We can get to at some point.
1: Um. Yeah, and um, we will things of note. I, I have some uh some info on that. Cool. But um, oh yeah, yeah, Carly, what you're just saying like sort of made me think of like when you talk about importance of boundaries. I think of well, what, where, when I watch this, are the horrors coming from? Like, how do I, how do I, like, like, where's the horror here for me? And I think it's exactly that something that's you know a setting where those boundaries can be are you know so important. And then you have like a drug that's literally about like dissolving boundaries, like put into play in a way that's not consensual, which I think is key here. Right. Set and setting is everything, folks. Yes, seriously. Um, so, so the the play. So I don't know. That's largely where the horror comes from for me. And then also so much just seeing those moments of betrayal or just accusation are what, like, hurts the hardest for me. Like, you know, e- as much as, you know, the, the actual instances of what happened, you know, whether it's them hitting each other and themselves in the worst of ways, locking the kid in the closet. Oh I mean, Jesus, God. like, it's it's the moments where they make the decision to do that that almost, like, kill me more when watching this. But um, the The, mo- yeah, the mob know-
0: stuff, too, really, really bothered me. Where it's like, same. They're egging as a as a group. They're egging each other on, and in such a like upsetting way to be like, or like the, the when the woman comes out and has um, uh she has a knife in her hand, and they're like, they're like, kill yourself, and and the <laughs> whole group is like, yeah, just do it. And it's like, whoa, no, what what is happening? But like that. Ma I don't know if you call is it a mob sort of mentality yeah, or like a, I think so just group yeah. sort of ah, attack type stuff is really scary to me because I think like we're we live in a world where we see that I and mean, you go, wait how is how is did that this devolve into the you know those this outcome or whatever and you think on an individual level like you want to think, oh I would never participate in that, but man we're weird like creatures because you put you drop some individual into the middle of 500 people who are chanting a thing they very well will start chanting it you know what i mean like that it's a crazy weird reality that we live in
2: yeah i i think there is an interesting question that comes from this of like how does and when does like getting swept up in a mob mentality like erase the ability to truly consent like to actually from your own volition and free free will like how when is mob mentality kind of a coercion to join right um Ugh. but like it, and it totally is in this mo- movie but of course as ryan said the circumstances of the the lsd non-consensually <laughs> dosed to everybody it's like their ability to decide and have boundaries In consent to anything, period, is taken away. Like there there wasn't like, like Ryan, you said, set and setting is everything. Like there wasn't a safe container. They're like, okay, who wants to do LSD? We're going to set it up in like (laughs) this room. We're going to have like, these people won't be on it. And like decide X, Y, you know, whatever, have a conversation (laughs) about it before so they could have informed consent. But that was like taken from everybody in the whole ensemble. And yeah, they just, Lost it. It was terrifying. That the mob scene with with the I think Lou was her name,
0: mm-hmm. the the I woman who said so, yeah. she
2: was pregnant with the the knife, and then her like slicing herself when they yelled at her. Oh, that was one of the like most disturbing horrific moments for me.
1: That exact question you posed, Carly, I think is super interesting. As far as like, yeah, is it, it when a mob, some setting, let's say, can be so uh feeling like something you're immediately a part of if you're just physically there or i guess non-physically there too is that somehow non-consensual I, my my immediate like thought on that i want to know what you think is like that that is this the kind of thing that's down to the individual having learned about themselves and like how they how apt they are to just be like is are these people doing this thing does that mean i'm what do what are my feelings about it previously how am i how how do I know myself to to join in i remember a a good friend of ours at a at his you know a first dead concert uh was like um you know right when it started he was like, i either want to be dancing with all these people or making fun of all these people like he was like <laughs> <laughs> but then you know, uh, luckily, end of story. You know, a, a few minutes later, after enough guitar solos, he was like, "Okay, I get it now." You know, but, <laughs> but like you know, point. It's like it, I could see him going through that exact kind of thing, where like, because then maybe you're also em- immediately empathizing with another mob that isn't physically there. I I don't know. It's just clearly, it's a really interesting question. It does
0: like. make me kind of think, maybe as a comparison to like because like
1: be, be having the
0: LSD given non-consensually like nobody knows that they were given it until they start feeling the effects but then it's too late right they they've it, lost it's very much thinking. like yeah, it's it's that's that's pretty similar to like how a cult works, right? Like you don't know you're being fucking indoctrinated or brainwashed into this cult until it's kind of too late. And then you're in and and like some people, the suggestivity of that or suggestibility of that is higher than others. Right. And like that's scary to me like that. We, Ryan and I, we, we've talked about this, too, like when you don't have control and like. Suddenly you're just sort of at the mercy of whatever an idea or a group or like especially a group that is telling you you're like invalidating you. That shit is super, super psychologically scary to me. And this movie (laughs) is doing that like from that point on, the whole thing is that and it's really upsetting. (laughs)
1: <laughs> indeed I'd, I'd be curious Carly is there another way to maybe phrase or, or something else going on in here as a way you could put it that is just like an overarching like where the horror stems from this film for you
2: oh gosh um I mean I think they the the horror of having your ability to consent and actually navigate a situation taken away completely like all of these people are losing their damn minds like yeah. <laughs> and just like they they didn't yeah, I I I think the having their ability to consent to an experience taken away and then that that experience robs them of their critical thinking, of their ability to communicate clearly. Um basically if their bu- ability to do like anything to to navigate <laughs> a situation um is horrific.
1: Yeah. And what's, I think, so fascinating about, like, you know, making it a drug use movie, they could have found a different way to sort of, you know, reach the whore. But it's, yeah, exactly. As far as, yeah, coming off what you're saying, Carly, like, it's when you, if you're doing psychedelics, you're essentially consenting for concepts like consent to completely go out the window in a way, you know, (laughs) in a a lot of ways. Um, Right. I just thought I had.
2: Yeah. No, it's like you're, you're, it's like not for the thought to go out the window, but you're like, OK, I'm saying yes to are you are risk informed when you consent to doing yeah. a psychedelic. You're like, OK, I know that these things might happen and I'm going to say yes to doing that in this particular container. Um, hmm. I actually am now like having this flashback to the very unfortunate first time that I did shrooms that. I was not in the right place to definitely say yes. And I wasn't coerced into doing it, but it, w- it was a whole situation um, when I was like in college and I was like, oh, shit, I'm in the wrong setting for this. And it was a really bad trip, um, oh, in which I was left mostly by myself without any contact. Um, fortunately, <laughs> since Fuck. then, there have been many positive experiences, but um, yeah good, good. We yeah
1: we know what you mean when you say bad trip but i'm I'm all up to like um you know the the culture of uh psychedelics and stuff, but I think it, it's helpful to say that um any trip is rather than a bad trip, difficult trip I love
2: that yes, I do i <laughs> I really appreciate the power of words, and there's like certain areas, like especially around talking about like sexuality, where I'm like, ooh, let's be really specific about what we what we actually mean are in saying and so we don't perpetuate some kind of harmful narrative so yeah, it wasn't I won't say it was a bad trip it was it was a really challenging trip, and um, it was a situation that I think if I had been more grounded in myself and my like needs and values and what I actually wanted to do, I would have been like, no. No, it's not right now, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and if, you know, they say you get something out of the experience and you being able, you learning that now, if, I know it is not fun to get no. there, but, you know, that's... As I say, yeah, difficult, you, you, bad or good, whatever, how difficult it yeah. was, you always are going to get something out right. of it. Right. Um, Which was
2: learning, I want to only do this in a very specific setting.
1: <laughs> oh, shit, man. That's young to do that too, college. Yeah. Like that's, I, I I know like we're old then too, but like, like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know and whatever. I felt, you know, like I was a full, like old man when I was five, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I I get it. But at the same time, I'm just like, it's maybe it's just the more the, the setting, the college setting I, I think of like, like it, I, I it's not, it's nothing you should do. Like it is another drug. It is not alcohol. Right. It's not. It's weed. it's,
2: uh, it's, its open. <laughs> yeah. There I could, I could write like a short, a short horror film of like, oh yeah. Be like my phone was dead. I lived in this apartment where usually all these people were, but nobody was there that night. And the two people <laughs> I were with were like, we want to go to explore like a, Abandoned construction site. And I was like, I do not want to do that. And then I was like, left there alone. <laughs> it was so wild.
1: I uh I uh well yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, I thought one decision I, I really liked that you made, you know, I feel like with um, psychedelics and film, there's either and you can do both or you can do an in-between, portraying filmically, let's say, you know, the effects of of psychedelics, or let's just observe people like you know just setting up the camera and watching them go so it was neat you know there was no like there was no nothing visually going on as far as hallucinations or nothing like you know wide camera you know all the things we may be typically associate with them so i so on on one hand i want to say i love that it takes this sort of really observational from the camera just like super realistic realism acting style, not like jumping into someone's point of view and looking at someone else. Yeah, all that stuff. Yet at the same time, it is within that constraint, it's doing some really smart things to replicate what that kind of nightmare psychedelic scenario is, specifically with... Um, the lighting, whether it's the harsh red light. Ooh, the lighting is as well amazing as, in this movie. Right. Yeah, exquisite. And there's like that harsh red light, the harsh green light yeah. too. There's a blue room. Which just... The blue room, which is everything just becomes a space. And then the camera moving upside down does a whole lot. And not just upside down, but the way they it's like you're looking straight down at one point where they're dancing, but it's like you're straight down and then bent a little forward. So it's, it's like throws you off. That Very disorienting. More. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much going on in the design, like from a technical standpoint and from a, like, uh, uh, oh man, on so many levels. So like, for example, that whole section of mm-hmm. of like disorientation when we're really, really kind of spiraling and we get back into the main hall and everything has turned red. We're basically mostly upside down for the entirety of that sequence, and it really is like we've just turned upside down, and I think the, the goal was sort of to make this – a close approximation to hell or, or sort of symbolically what hell may be for them in this moment. And like all of that thematic stuff from a visual standpoint, coupled with the continuation of dance, even in moments that aren't that, that people aren't actually like doing a dance. They're not purposefully doing that. They're still moving in a sort of way that is, dance like and i think that the flow that this movie accomplishes to weave in and out of like the emotional experience that these individuals are having the physical experience that they're having coupled with the fact that they are dancers and so that's in them and it's coming out at various moments like all of those things kind of melding together through that sequence make it pretty remarkable to me because you're you're layering so many different concepts onto each other and still having it work and be really unpleasant and really pleasing at the same time <laughs> like yeah yeah it's crazy
2: in the soundscape they do that with the light the visuals and the soundscape like yeah. the the kind of like techno beats like Ever persistent, this almost kind of distorted heartbeat. But then it's like yeah. you flow through the halls, and then there's like different screaming and like,
0: yeah, oh the continued screaming like that's that's down halls and stuff at various <clears> times. <throat>
1: Holy shit! Yeah, that that stuff with the kid was just like, oh my god, like <laughs>
2: <laughs> deeply disturbing. True horror. Yeah. True horror.
0: Um, when you t- when we turn the camera yeah. turns around and the kid is drinking
2: oh my god again,
0: i was like i've i'm fucking done this movie's like it's it's really digging in deep and mm-hmm. i also you know i watched it the night before the election so i was already feeling fairly anxious anyway <laughs> so i was like why are we watching this right now god damn it it's definitely a distraction yeah another anxiety. well it's what we do best Tim. <laughs> I I also – maybe this is sort of a thing of note because I don't know the answer. But I I have a feeling that there's a bunch of symbolic stuff going on that's very Hmm. French-centric. In particular, there's a whole conversation about the flag. And if we're just – that I was like, I don't really know what they're talking about, but I know there's something deeper here that I'm just not aware of. Was it the um, French
2: flag that they're talking about? Is there because I yeah. don't remember seeing it for some reason. They so just talk about it.
0: If you look at the poster on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. the the backdrop behind. Oh yes, that's the French flag, You're right? right? Exactly. And there's a conversation the, the at blue, one white, point red. about it. The two guys are like, "Fuck that flag," and it's and and they're the two black guys. So I think that there's something. A you know, I I don't know much about French like politics or. Or uh, immigration stuff. But I know that it is a source of tension for sure. Right. And I think that there's something in there's thematic stuff within that for sure. And then like just realizing that and maybe this is maybe I'm I'm reaching here. I'm not sure. But like the blue, white and red of the flag are used very specifically in color tone in room color tone at various places and yeah. I'm wondering if I had if I could ask <laughs> you know Gasparneau no, how correlated those things were it's something I'd like to know because I have a suspicion that they are deeply correlated right yeah because he's so, so
2: intentional just,
0: right it just goes to show like to me this is one of those examples of so, like it's kind of like Kubrick is the same way like everything has meaning everything is layered and everything is for a reason like it's 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 on purpose. And I really appreciate that. I think it's it's pretty cool and like something to I admire that a lot in film because it's easier to just wash past things but like to have everything really specifically pointing at some deeper meaning is exciting to me.
2: That that makes me think of two different things. One just the like being creeped out by, by the flag moment. I remember that too, very distinctly. It was a a distinct, it was just a snippet of conversation, but, you know, I think maybe one piece of that is France was also a colonizing nation, Um, you know, that's absolutely in their, in their history of violence. Uh, But I, I, and then the other piece that I was thinking of um, was what you said about the intentionality and kind of as a, (laughs) as a Thespomancer theater, which, um, I, I see ritual and symbols as a kind of, like, magic spell. So, like, in film, I mean, you know, like, Jodorowsky's films are all magic spells, absolutely. I think there's a lot of filmmakers who... It's a way to... The intentionality is part of, like, the ritual and, and the magic of it and the precision. And so I I wouldn't be surprised if the red and blue light rooms were were somehow specifically all connected to that.
0: Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I mean... I. Lo- there's one other thing um, kind of on the broader thematic side that coming from kind of – I'm kind of backtracking what we talked about. But to just sort of remake a point, the, the, the norms that used to exist and I'm sure do still exist in various ways, um, maybe less so now, but – Like, when I was in college, there was sort of this norm of, like, in order to be a good artist, you have to let yourself go and push the boundaries and, like, maybe get uncomfortable and all of that, right? That was a big thing in my experience. And, like, that's really touchy, right? If you actually step back and, like, explore what the fuck is being said there, that's pretty touchy shit. And yet... We were explicitly pushed as artists to go in that direction and push against other people's comfort. And like this movie sets that whole stage for that. And then they're given LSD. So, like, or whatever the drug is, I don't know if it's specifically LSD, but it is. Yeah. Is it? But like th- that whole notion is very, very conflicting. For me, personally, and I think probably for a lot of people,
2: yeah. Oh, I said who because <laughs> that's something I can I can definitely speak to. And um, just for for my background, I came to directing and intimacy direction originally from training as an actor, and that's where I started in in college in school. And there's such a narrative for all artists. There's this bullshit narrative that it's like, oh, you have to like suffer in kind of like let yourself be harmed to be a good yeah. artist, which I think is really uh, romanticizing that is really harmful Um, because like, of course everybody is going to have painful experiences and suffering just being a human, just being alive in this world. But to it, I definitely in, in college, in theater school, I was absolutely, it was like, you know, push yourself. And we didn't have language or at least I didn't have language at that time. And I saw This happened to myself, and like bought into it. I also, even more, as time went on, I started to see this happen with my friends, mostly like female actors specifically. And I was just like, "There's something about this. This is fucked, That's fucked up." Uh, and, And now, years later, I I have language where, and I really love sharing this language with people, where it's like, "Okay, let's talk about the difference between." Uncomfortable, which we have to be uncomfortable in order to grow as humans, as artists, sometimes, or something that really is unsafe or something that is actually harmful to us. And like, why is part of actors, dancers, filmmakers, all all artists' background to be like, cool, this is something you need to think of, think about, and like do some introspection around so that you are able to communicate, like, ooh, this is a, uh, this is uncomfortable for me, but I want to and I'm willing to try it, which might be like this term, a brave yes. Like that's a brave yes for me, but like I'm okay to try that and I know I can tap out any time versus feeling like, especially the the art industry, the film industry, there's such a culture of scarcity where it's like, well, if I don't say yes, someone else will and they'll get the job. And oh, I just I just hate it all so much. <laughs> and I'm so excited for it to shift. <laughs> Sorry if I went yeah. on a- Supreme tangent. No, but that's. I think
0: that that in this movie, like, even though it's more of a layered, kind of nuanced thing, that I I had a very similar, you know, background to, to you in that realm, and like watching those early moments in this film, I was immediately like worked up and like, oh shit, like I remember this, and I like mm-hmm. I know where this can. And often still goes, and it's it's gnarly even without the LSD.
2: Right? Yes. <laughs> you know? it, it's in those early interviews when so many of the the dancers are saying, "I would do anything to have this dream, to live this dream, to dance." Like that, you know. They're they're taught that like, oh no, you have to sacrifice everything. You can't have any boundaries if you want to like succeed in this world, which is very sinister.
1: Yeah. Right. Well. At the same time, though, I do sympathize with the, that feeling. You know what? Like maybe not literally anything, but like, you know what? I am willing to fight my whole life to get this thing that I want. And the dangerous thing I see in there is the, that exactly said, Carly, the romanticizing yeah. of just like sheer discomfort as being like inherently adding to the art somehow. Because I, I don't know. I like to look at whether it's like life or or artistic endeavors or, you know, which, you know, you want to be challenging yourself just that little bit. Like I like that David Bowie quote, that's like any artistic endeavor, you know, should be a little bit scary, but that's in yes. terms of, do you think it's going to work or not? You know, as far as like what you're, you know, it's from an artistic sense. Um, so I don't know. I'd like to think of it as like, you know, it's sort of like consent, mm-hmm. something I at least feel okay about in a way of looking at it, any situation like this, not romanticizing pain, what I'm doing is I'm in friendly competition with myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No,
2: that totally makes sense. And, and I really think, again, in being particular with language and going back to this, like the good trip, bad trip, this is why it's really important to say uncomfortable is okay. Like humanity and artists will never grow or get better if we don't step outside of our comfort zone but that also doesn't mean we have to step into a harmful place. And so, it, and <laughs> yeah. also, like, sometimes we don't know exactly where that line is or we bump up into it, which is why we have to talk about it. But I, I don't think there's anything wrong with artists going to uncomfortable places. Like, if we don't, then we're making boring, shitty art, or we're not like evolving <laughs> beyond oppressive systems that we learn and internalize if we don't get uncomfortable. Yeah. But uh, so, so I'm, I'm super down with uncomfortable. But I just like having agency to kind of decide to be uncomfortable and where the line is for you of like when it's harmful.
1: And like, yeah, like a good example of that is they're saying at the beginning, we see clearly how passionate they are about wanting to just dance and live their goal. And then to see that Immediately after, in their actual dance, where they're literally like they're 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 bringing up, they're summoning all that passion that they just talked about, and to witness it, and that's, I mean, like you said, starting off, just hey, what's great about this movie? What worked for me? The dancing.
0: Oh, incredible! <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? And and, and I, I, you know, I wanted, to, I kind of want to watch this again specifically to look at now having seen the movie because when it was happening, I was like, I I bet because nothing's you know. And uh, nothing's arbitrary. I bet once you've watched the movie and you really know the trajectory of each of these characters, once we've gotten to know them, if we go back and we watch their individual dances, even when they're not the the focus of the dance piece in the beginning, I bet you those like – Uh, depictions whatever they're actually physically doing say a ton in correlation with who they are and the journey that they individually go on in the movie like that's speculation on my part because I haven't gone back and done it but like I I remember thinking I was like I bet you that we're watching the story in this dance unfold right now before the story unfolds yes which you know if that's true it's even more like that to me is like the greatest shit. Like I love films that do stuff like that. I mean, actually, Midsummer does it too, right? Like in the beginning of Midsummer, they show us the whole story. Yeah. It's in that yeah. that um quilt thing.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's absolutely going on in the the spilling the tea segment. They're all setting up what's to come. yum.
0: Yeah. It's cool. One other thing that just came to mind as we were talking about this. There's kind of a critical um person, I guess, or 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 uh not what what am I trying to say? Like a a I guess person, whatever. Um that's missing from the dynamic of this group that often or in my experience, usually was around, which is like a pretty clear-cut director or somebody who's like in charge. There isn't that that character doesn't really exist in the in this. And so I think it's, that yeah. allows for a lot of the trouble that the movie gets into because you don't have somebody like Carly standing there being like, hang on, let's have a conversation
1: about this, right? Well like I, I like, yes, yeah, there there's a great moment where we see that play out because I think there's um the the what would you go? The DJ almost feels like he's has this sort of like house mother yes, almost kind of daddy. like position in a lot of ways. Yeah. Where like people, people look towards him. Like, you know, and there, and I think it's great. See that, but yet at the same time, even though like he may give us that feel, like the way he kind of is up there and just that the, his essence, how he makes us feel like he's there as a supporting presence, we get that sort of horror moment where someone goes to him for that comfort and he's just kind of, you know, in his own, he's going through his own thing and kind of just, you know, pushes her aside. Uh, so I see, yeah, not having that, <laughs> what you just said, Dim, that's, um, Seen that happen there? Yeah,
0: but, well, Is but, it ever actually resolved who laced the, the sangria?
1: Do we ever get that answer? I
2: think I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I it's, I mean, in the summary, it points out specifically you can kind of tell it's, um, it, it's the character named Psyche, um, who's a, the tall, one of the blonde girl yes, who, blonde. who peed yeah. while
2: dancing and she she oh, le- right, said right. she yes, left of Berlin. Course. Because there was too much drugs. People put acid in their eyes. And then, and this then she's
0: doing it at her, the end. Or like, Fuck. Yes, of course, of course. And she's the really only one connect. still
2: standing and, like, dancing and just swaying to the music at the, <laughs> in the morning. She's like,
0: whoa. Yeah. That's right.
1: Oh, shit. Wow. Um, that's good. <laughs> that was good. I got to hit up some, uh, some more specifics here, um, too. Love to hear different moments that uh worked for you guys too. But um for all just didn't mention yet like the long takes <gasps> and how much those are doing, whether it's for like like Carly, like he said, like, like how well shot the dancing is. It's so much just like any good fight scene almost, just let us just watch it happen for the most part in long take form. And then that works in the horror context too, if we're watching this choreography play out. But as far as the horror context of that building and just sort of that progression of dread and nastiness where it's like it's happening before we even know it because it all is literally one take. And then that's offset by, they. it's so cool, they find a way to do that without doing that in the segments where they're talking to each other. You have this, editing technique that you don't see enough. I love it so much of the momentary cut to black. Yeah. Yes. And in this case, you have the um, the audio running underneath it too, continuously, which does a lot too. It's only like, what um, would you say? It's like four frames
0: of black or something like that. It's very short, but it's just enough for our eyes to register it.
1: It's really cool. Yeah. So Sorry, so there's cool a cat that here now. The-
2: <laughs> Wait, let me
1: hey, Noodle. <laughs> We we get a couple of hellos from cats in the show. It's cool? we're. Are you gonna be cool? They're always welcome here.
2: Some he's he's <laughs> very loud sometimes. He I fed him right before this, and so he was sleeping. But well, I'll keep an Sweet. eye on him. <laughs> oh,
1: I hope to get him on the recording. To be honest, it's always fun. <laughs> they were here too, you know. Yeah. No. Oh, but as far as like how the uh, those 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 um the dialogue scenes that cut to black where they're talking to each other that finds a way to sort of almost have that same in progression of dread as if it was a long take. Like one of my favorite just kind of, I don't know, things in this, just things that were so smart as far as the progression of the LSD itself as well as like, I love the middle section probably and particularly the most when the drugs settling in and how they play that progression is just so like, feels so real and smart where those those two guys who are like, just kind of really reveling in I don't know what to call it like the bro talk kind <laughs> of thing, like who they all want to hit up and you know, all that. Um it 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 goes on to the point where you start to go like this is starting to feel really repetitious and you realize it's not in the way where it's just the movie being repetitious but they are starting to get caught in their own little like thought loop which psychedelics do you know. So hmm. so all of a sudden during that moment it just keeps going and I am like oh shit that's that's what's happening here. Uh, that that I thought was so effective. That's I, brilliant. I that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. It just
0: occurred to me too that those cut to the the cuts the black frames are are about the same as a blink yes like if you just blink (laughs) they're very much that same thing and that that almost i think to what you're saying ryan it's 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 purposeful it's a technique right like as we start to try and retain our sense of control over like our surroundings and whatever often one of the ways that we try to reset ourselves to to be like Am I okay? Is to kind of blink a few times to like refocus ourselves. And yeah. so it's almost like I would imagine this it's intentional as well. The filmmakers are going, let's push that feeling for the audience in just as much as they're pushing that feeling as the
1: guys get into their repetition loop. It's really yeah. smart. Yeah. And it's especially like a blink when um because you aren't blinking your ears when you blink the audio stage. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
0: yes.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just as much a blink as maybe kind of a loss of time or time becoming skewed as well. Because yeah. we're like, wait, how did something happen? But that we're missing between the visual blinks, or
0: oh
1: yeah, or the
2: you know, so that that's kind of a trippy experience as well for the
1: right because they aren't just blinks; they're cuts. Yep. And actuality, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, wow, that's cool. So effective, um, man. Yeah. Uh, i so I gotta mention too the the what could be more you know um experimental or whatever but the um messing with film form where you have the end credits at the opening yes! you have these brilliant like different fonted colored titles uh, or the cast listing at the the main intro title which is 45 minutes in <laughs> and then that allows you to have no end credits within itself is really interesting too like all that. Love it. That's like some of my favorite stuff in movies. And I just love this so much for that. It
2: was really cool. When we first turned it on last night, I like was looking at Zach and I was like, wait, did this start at the end? Like, did we like, I had to like check the timestamp and be like, no, this is the, the end credits are at the beginning. Okay. This is going to be a ride.
0: But <laughs> oh, hang on. Okay. That just reminded me what's up with the opening shot then. Who who is the the woman who's in the snow in the opening it's, it's shot? It's Lou,
2: I think. It's the woman who was pregnant and they they got her to like cut herself and she cuz she like like is survived but like runs runs out the door and is like bleeding in the snow, right?
1: Shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she runs outside. Cuz yeah. we
0: never go back to it and I just remember thinking at the end I was like, "Oh
1: shit. <laughs> I don't actually know right. the answer." That's cool. Um. The very last thing I have uh, was just the, Tim, you said this might be, you would have preferred like the, the having at least some individual protagonist to hang your hat on, but as this being an exercise in treating the group as character or as the character, I, I just love that so much through and through whether, you know, like how I said at the beginning of that intro scene with all of them talking in front of the camera. Yeah. You can look at that as setting them up all as individuals, individuals, but you can also be setting up as like, no, here's the introduction to the group, yeah. you know, it especially functions in that way that with them being in their same location shot the same way. Um, and then, even even when they all start attacking each other or they have their different things going on, everyone has their own thing. And it just sort of seems so aside the point about when someone makes the accusation or not rather than just, it is, this is, it just, yeah, where one thing starts and one thing ends as far as who is at fault, it's not easy to pin on. It really does seem like this, yeah, group as character going on this journey. I love that.
0: Uh yeah. It's man. it's a really it's really impressive to me because even even within the little stories that each individual has, it still maintains this feeling of actually it's just us as a part of the group. Which I don't even really know how that is accomplished, but it is (laughs) It's, it's freaky like like, for example, when. I think it's because they did such a good job of setting everybody up that we identify with everybody on an individual level to some degree so that, like, as we shift from one little interaction to the other, we are sort of swept up in it and and we're sort of like – once you just get on board that, like, you are not really one of these people nor are you – you're kind of all of them anyway – So like when you transition, for example, we transition from the blue room when um, I don't remember anybody's name, but they they get into the blue room and then the dude who who has the track suit on, he shows up and interrupts them and gets kicked out. We just follow along with him and then he wanders his way into the bathroom and the brother and sister are, are going at it and then that gets broken up and we're all just it's just flowing through this ensemble experience it's pretty it's pretty wild
2: <laughs> it's like a pass the yeah. torch relay that it yeah. just like we go with one story and then it's just passed and now we're on a different one yeah that's it is it is very effective it's really interesting
1: gets at that um the 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 boundaries breaking down aspects too in that sense it's that so much it like off. a party
0: right like I've been in this party because I tend to – I'm a floater in parties. I love floating around. And so like <laughs> i it felt so much like that experience of going to a party and just being the person who like I'll float into a conversation, see what's going on. I, I don't generally like to be in – or the center of a conversation I like to kind of watch and maybe interject, but not necessarily. Like, I don't need to. And I'll just kind of be like, oh, yeah, I'm over in this section of the party for a little bit, and then I'm going to float over to this part. And, man, it accomplishes that feeling so, so well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In in uh, a horrific way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did uh, – well, either of you but, Carly, did you have – um? Any final or not final, but yeah, just like like more specific moments or just stuff that stood out to you that worked.
2: I think it really worked. Um, that the continued physicality of having a cast of dancers, how that was used throughout, like you know, the there was the dialogue was important, but it felt a lot less important than the movement throughout the whole piece. Not just when they were dancing and being dancers at the beginning, but just, like, as everything kind of devolved, like, there kind of became almost like a, now through this lens of the, the horror section, like, became this kind of horrific, visual, twisted way of, you know, utilizing these performers and the incredible ways they can move their bodies uh in kind of the, yeah, upside down hellscape. Like that, the the strong physical performances to me really carrying through the different acts or chapters I thought was really cool. That really worked for me.
1: Great. Agreed. Um, I just also had, I wrote, true horror offers no reprieve. Uh, <laughs> so it uh, very much worked for me in that sense. I appreciated it. I just Absolutely. feel bad for poor Omar.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Which
1: Oh, right, right. <laughs> he didn't
2: drink. They kicked him out in the snow and he froze.
1: Just like how quickly they do that yeah. too. Like um, that one fe- actually and that one really
0: feels like it has some deeper meaning that I'm not I mean I'm sure we could try to parse out but like just by itself I'm like at its core it feels like it it's got a bigger broader like I don't know, okay. metaphor going on, but it, it it's so effective just as it is. It's like this poor dude.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this this one nothing. person who chose like consciously not to partake, not that the other people consented to being drugged, but they consented to like drinking. Uh, maybe some of them were even coerced into drinking, but like he was just like, no, he he like knew his boundaries. He's the character who knew his boundaries <laughs> and communicated them strongly. And once it shifted to this mob mentality, Everybody was like, "Oh, you have boundaries. You were the one who's betrayed us," and like th- literally <laughs> throw them out into the snow.
0: That that experience I I've had quite a lot because I bartended for a long time, and the culture of drinking as a bartender, is, especially in the places I worked, was so heavy. Like everybody's like, if you don't belong unless you're drinking along with everybody else, and you're the bartender, so you have to be participating. And I. Over the years, there would be times when I'd be like, yeah, I'm not drinking. And the the shaming and the like ostracization that I would receive – for not participating in this thing. And I'm like, it's not a reflection on you guys. I just don't feel like drinking. It has nothing to do with you. I don't care what you do. But the way people react to feeling as though if you're not participating, that's a condemnation on their behavior is so in this movie in that moment.
1: I was like, oh, shit. Well, speak about, you know, like, Boundaries and whatnot, though, and the the lack thereof that also exist at any given time. Tim, you describing that scenario reminds me of I loved I think it was on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld talking to his good buddy Larry David. Larry David was going on his very Larry David rant about like, well, why what's what's the need for both having coffee in the morning? If I don't like coffee, why can't I just have tea in the morning? My wife and I having, you know, she can have her coffee, I can have my tea, and. Jerry's like, it's because when you're both drinking coffee, there's a mood, you know, (laughs) like, it, it is different. And that lack of it is affecting, you know, the someone else. Like, yeah, even though, like, you not drinking isn't a direct condemnation on them, it, like, they can't help but be aware of, for some reason, this person is choosing not to drink.
2: Right. Well, I think that's also just connected to the way that we humans are socialized around no and rejection and that we're like, this is a personal rejection of me. (laughs) And instead of like, we need to unlearn that and be like, no, that's about somebody else's needs in their decision. It literally has nothing to do with you, but we're taught through all of the different ways that we're like, oh, anytime somebody says no to an offer, that's a negative reflection on you. That is a rejection of you personally.
0: Right. Because on the reverse side, We put so much stock and value into the idea of shared experience. And so when somebody is not participating in that supposed shared experience, we equate that with negativity. And it's like, yeah, those things don't need to be mutually exclusive at all. (laughs) Like they just don't. But we are really taught hard that that's the way it should be.
1: Come on, just take a sip. Come on, <laughs> exactly. Coercion, <laughs>
2: peer pressure yeah. is definitely a yes. kind of coercion.
1: Uh, <laughs> instead He's, of just yeah. being
2: like, "Okay, you you do you," we can still share the experience of the music or the dance floor right. or our conversation or whatever.
1: Yeah. Or how about this new shared experience of one of us not drinking and one of us drinking? That's an entirely unique thing on its own. We can both that Revelyn. is
2: that is a shared experience. <laughs>
1: um. Either of you have any more last what worked for you about this films? If not, I have something that's one of my simultaneously worked and did not to bring us into our next mm-hmm. section. Ooh,
2: interested in this not transition. Good.
1: Um, no, Carly, any final things for you? No, you're no, good? I think I think I'm good. Great. Well, I'll say yeah, and I'll get right into why this also. In the end, this worked for me more than it didn't. But I feel like there is a distinct choice being made here that puts this hardcore into being a horror movie by its portrayal of psychedelics, too, where even there's, the, the like, how how quickly they do turn on Omar kind of thing. That just didn't strike me as, like, this would actually happen, you know, like, with the LSD. Like, it doesn't do that per se. I'm not saying it's not a possibility, but it, it um I'm already getting into what did not work <laughs> in the, in the way. So whatever. But, um, but in the end, I realized I read that did really work for me just as soon as I did get on board with that context of this is a horror movie. It is using this as a device to, to reach certain horrors in a way more interesting and effective way. Even if Uh, and I'll transition right here to our next section and finish that thought in What Did Not Work. It's not ready yet.
2: Seems to work
0: okay.
1: No, something important's missing.
0: What did not work?
1: (laughs) And though, yes, what did not work about what I was just saying, though, it just kind of keeps up this, like, that, uh, that urban legend, if you take LSD, you're going to jump out of a building kind of thing, which I just think is dangerous to kind of keep putting out there. But in the end, this is just a movie, so it did work for me. But at the same time, kind of didn't work because it's also people watch these and take things away. I, I don't know. There, there's, my, there's my conflicting why it is both. I'm a, anyway. little,
0: I'm a little forgiving of it just for the economy of it. It's like you kind of have to move things along.
1: Yeah, but I I agree. I get what you're saying. Uh well, okay, for anything else that did not work how about uh Carly anything for um, you.
2: Yeah, kind of like piggybacking on that. It, it was hard for me to buy that they were all so disoriented. By by the drug. Like, I mean, I, I'm i not an acid expert and like, I don't know what, we don't know what dosage was in the punch and like, but it's just different people drank different amounts and just like every, I totally buy that there would be some people there who it would take to that place. Like everybody has different kind of brain chemistry and biology that different like drugs and chemicals can interact with in a in a very different way. But every single person was so destabilized, including... Lou, the the woman, the young woman who was pregnant and said she didn't drink any, but like, did she? I don't know, because she was behaving on this almost the same level as everybody else um, and was very susceptible to their, like, I, I, you know, like in good classic horror movie fashion, I was like yelling at her. I was like, don't go in there. Don't talk to them with your knife. <laughs> Just run away. What <laughs> the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but, but I think... I, it, and I do think, like, yes, I see how it was used as a device to to serve of um, the exploration, as you said so well, Ryan. But I didn't totally buy that they all went to, like, the most extreme
1: end. <laughs> right. Yeah, it that was a bit tempered for me by luckily having a few of them who, like, while we leave all these whores in these other rooms, you do have a handful that are still just dancing. <laughs> <laughs> like, that felt, like, helped offset it a little more realistic. Yeah. Um yeah. I just assumed watching it, they did indeed t- drink a lot because, like, it it in liquid form like that. Like, it's so like you measure it in um, what's even like below like mill like measuring. So if you if you're dosing like a punch, like it's it's gonna be a lot. <laughs> but still, there I I felt that confusion though too of like or I don't know that took me about. I'm like wait. Or maybe is that the littlest plot hole was like, wait, so did she take it in some other place or not? The mother, yeah. I yeah. Don't know. Hmm. Tim, anything for you that simply did not work, or that was less not working at least?
0: Honestly, not really. Like it's one of we've had this happen a few times. Like it's one of those movies that to me is so kind of doing its own thing. That I don't feel like, I just don't feel like there's anything to criticize or like nothing felt like it didn't work. Cause everything, I just feel like everything's so distinctly like the expression of the filmmaker.
1: But I'm like, I think it cool. (laughs) I think it does, it just, I don't know. Yeah. For me, it does work through and through. And um, sometimes we have these sections. Where uh in what did not work, it will end up being our biggest section. sometimes we're watching these great movies, and got nothing to say. but um I, I, if like, I
0: really wanted to reach super, super hard, i I'm not really I don't agree with what I'm about to say, really. but like, let's say <laughs> in a, in the most perfect world, i could ha- I could have this movie without subtitles, but not not in French. So in other words. I would like to know French (laughs) (laughs) because I don't think it would be the same movie in English.
2: No, I don't. Right. Like it wouldn't.
0: It's it is a French movie. So I need to learn French in order to to justify that not working subtitle issue, I guess. (laughs) That's like the (laughs) lamest. It didn't work for me.
1: Well, I mean, Tim, I mean, did you, after having talked about it all this much, did you have anything else like for why it might still be a rent it for you? Or was that all still hold true? Or me? Any additional insights? Yeah. Because, you know, when you don't have anything that didn't work for me, you know, I just want to say, well, is it a buy it? It's still, it's, mm,
0: I don't know. It's still a rent. I would rent it again, though, which is is weird. So, like, yeah, (laughs) I think what it is, is that it's one of those movies that I'm like, I'm not going to if I owned it. When am I ever going to reach for it? Like, really? (laughs) Like when I'm be like, oh, you know what I'm in the mood for this insanity? (laughs) Yeah, I see him. Unless I'm specifically going at it to look at like an analytical aspect of it to be like, wow, holy shit, why did that work so well? Can I pull it apart just for my own edification so that I can somehow like use that in something else or like at least let it inform something that I'm trying to figure out? In that sense, sure, I would own it for that. But then again, I would just rent it for that again. You know what I right. mean? Because that's going to happen four be... times, and that's going <laughs> to equal the
1: amount that I would have paid for it if I bought it. So whatever. <laughs> I I will be curious to check up with both of you down the line. Like I always have had some on this show that changed from a rented to a buy it. And this was my second time watching this film. So something that did settle in from, like hearing you talk about like when am I going to reach for it? I was excited to watch this movie again, and it uh, it does have a lot to do with how strong the visceral experience is the music and the dancing and that super simple structure that just allows it to really like play out in a happening before your eyes way you know and the way that and we talked about that all works so it's just there there is a great a great review on um, on Letterboxd. I always like to reference where it's like they start off saying terrible experience watching this, kind of hated it. About half the movie's guttural screaming, people shrieking in horror and fright and pain. Then they say this is film uh, is literally and figuratively a bad acid trip. Um, it's the inescapable tear of any horror movie distilled down to its purest form. It's been four hours since the movie ended and I stumbled out into the middle of the night forced to find my way home through a crowded, rowdy city like an all-too-real nightmare. The movie won't leave my head. As <laughs> juvenile as this sounds, I don't think a movie has moved me like this. I really want to see it again. And that is uh, from ZachA.M on Letterboxd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just gotta get it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an experience and and that can make you feel a lot of different ways in the end you know and it sits on you and ah, yeah. it's a lot
2: yeah i i mean like maybe it's a rent plus or something you know like this <laughs> kind of in between but it it in this aspect and i feel more strongly about this on both ends with uh hereditary just a slight tangent but just like that was kind of a perfect fucking movie like it was unbelievable and also I saw it when it came out in theaters and I'm I keep being like I really want to watch it again but also I don't know if or when I can watch it again you you know like where I, I feel these two like that was great and I would recommend it and it's a fucking experience but um which actually brings me kind of to one more questionable what didn't work for me um which is you know, I, I really like to interrogate stories, movies, films, plays, whatever, of why are you telling the story right now? And so to be for this, I, I, I did sometimes feel the question of like, what were you interested in exploring? Or what did you want us to get from this movie by, by telling it? And, you know, I was thinking about that and I was talking uh, after we watched it last night to Zach and he said something that I thought was very uh, astute and made sense. He's like. It's like, a, it's a roller coaster. It's not about what you get from it. It is, the the movie is the ride. And sometimes you just want to ride a roller coaster. <laughs> um, and so that kind of made me come to peace with that more. But also in having this conversation with you two, you know, that kind of is getting me more to like, oh, this, this is a conversation that this film has taken us to. Um, and there's something really valuable in that. So I'm still kind of like on the fence of like, why are you telling the story? But also, it's just such an experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh,
2: and also, okay, one more thing. This is a very silly, small thing. And I know there's, like, the context of the, the bro conversation that we were talking about early. But I just wrote on my notes, never have anal sex without lube, bro. So that was just the conversation <laughs> of, like... Yeah, like dry anal. And I was like, no, not boo uh, again. I mean
0: even the guy in, in in the conversation, the guy is like, "Really?" Yeah. Like you don't right. not even not even like some jelly? Like, right. like come on. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right.
1: horrible so, idea the context PSA for everyone right
2: the context <laughs> is is forgiven but that that was kind of my joke what didn't work
1: yeah <laughs> which is like yeah not dissimilar to my kind of like yeah portrayal of psychedelics when a movie is done in this realistic of a style of like just the dialogue whatever it's hard not to be so attuned to that as if they are actually Purporting the things that they're saying, which is shouldn't be, it should still be looked at as the context of a movie when anyone's watching it. But but, yeah,
2: some of some of the ways that they talked about sex again, it's in this very particular context of this like drugged bro conversation. But I was like, oh, do we do we need that? Do we need to perpetuate that story, or is it actually an important piece within this context? So I'm not sure. I will actually
0: piggyback on that. That was probably the only. Section of the entire movie that I started to feel like I kind of just want to check out because like deep like graphic misogyny is I'm
1: just like when it starts up I start to just kind of go yeah all right I'm well that that Tim again that was my exact experience too but why it ended up in what worked is I realized why it was doing it and how it was making me feel of like they. They are taking it to the X degree because of the drug now. Yeah. It is kicking in and that's oh it, it like it took that discomfort I already had that you just described and then was like, oh, this is on top of that now even right, <laughs> doing right. something
2: yeah. Else. yeah, totally.
1: Well, if uh, yeah, if that's it, if you two are good to find out more about the background. And anything else we found interesting or noteworthy? Yes, Excuse me. Anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about this film? We have a very section for that. So let's move into what did no, oops, <laughs> things <laughs> of note. Things of note. <sighs> this should be interesting. So, I mean, I have stuff that I just the, – the Wikipedia is pretty ex- extensive on this. It's I suggest you guys read it. It's fun just hearing more about it. But I have things that I can kind of go down that I pulled and share with you all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, everything that I pulled was from Wikipedia too, so you might as well just – Okay. <laughs> well, that. it was cool. It, it was uh, conceived and pre-produced in only four weeks and shot in chronological order in only 15 days – Although no conceived the premise, the large majority of the film was unrehearsed, on-the-spot improvisation by the cast, Ah! who were given no lines of dialogue beforehand and had almost complete liberty as to where to take the story and characters. That's fucking nuts. (laughs) So, Carly, and actually, I hope this gets a lot of your, you know, um, what you do as an intimacy coordinator and all that, your approval. It sounds like maybe they were on track with at least how they were um, attempting to do this, but... But here, here you'll get some more on how they how they formed it. Yeah. Um, no, found the cast himself mostly in ballrooms, crumping battles, or on the internet. So, so Carly, I think I don't know whether you know as far as is this the right place in time. He was mostly inspired by what I got. Uh, he said the the voguing scene. In you know, that is, you know, started, I don't know if it started in New York, but it was largely in New York, but he was experiencing it in Paris and all that, where he just that energy, he just sort of was like, this is something I want to capture. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which that you was totally the sort of, see
2: in the in the dancing in this movie.
1: It's incredible. Yeah. And then we have oh, yeah. So but there were the I think kind of if there were any kind of more leady types, there's only the two cast members who did have an acting experience. Uh, aside from that, two of two of the women, but um, aside from that, no acting experience. Um, but here we go. There were no rehearsals and only the premise, the character's basic personality traits, and the early dance scene had been planned beforehand. No stated that when the cast asked him for a script so they could learn their lines, he answered, no, just come to the set and do whatever you want. I'll never push you to do anything against your will, and if you have any ideas, please... Telling them to me, and um, he, and he from that too. Then he, it sounded like he incorporated like everything that they were. They said like he'd ask them behind their backs, like, "What do you feel about this? What do you think your relationship could be with this person?" And he would find sort of like these matching, overlapping things about how, like, there's someone that had a scene with this other person. So like by the end, who ended up with who, like in the rooms, who ended up dead, all that stuff came from what sounded like it was you know, fully is mostly coming from the actors, but he was just kind of helping to facilitate it. Is it really interesting?
2: That is so interesting. And I have so many feelings. <laughs> about. Please. It. Um, okay. First of all, I think it's, dangerous to improvise a lot of the stuff that they did in this movie i i will say i love this idea of how he one i love that he cast mostly dancers i think that made so much sense for the film and that's beautiful they're they're performers they understand how how to perform um and that seems more important that aspect of performance than a trained film actor Um, And I love this idea of collaboration. And I really think you can, it can be done. It's tricky and it requires a lot of like communication and mindfulness. But I think you, you can absolutely have the kind of collaboration where you give everyone their basic character and you give some level of freedom. And you're like, what happens with this character? Where do they end up? But I think it's dangerous to just be like, You don't have to do anything you don't want to, but just, like, go for Mm. whatever you do want. I think that's too loose of a container for actors to be in these really charged scenarios because um, something you've probably heard me say on on my podcast is for actors and also for dancers, their performance lives in their body. So it's like, it's different than when we're like directing or writing something where there is this, you know, physical separation. Like they actually, there is kind of a ritualized experience of the traumatic shit that happens to their characters that they experience in their body. So I think like, I love the idea of being like, who do you think your character ends up with? What do you think happens? But I think that's like, Again, I don't know the details of how he did that, but in an ideal world, he would talk to everyone individually. He would talk to them in small groups and together and then also have really clear boundaries. Like nobody is ever going to touch anybody in this X, Y, Z if there is like a really violent or uh, just a violent or sexual sexual violence scene being like, you know, saying these are, this is what's going to happen. This is the choreography for this moment. And I don't think that that's stifling to performers um, because it's like you're building a skeleton, a safe skeleton that they're like, we hit all these points, like a dance for dancers. Um, And it's not like you can't put your flavor and your emotion into it. Um, But I think it just, when you don't have that, it leaves a lot of room for harm to happen and for boundaries to get violated. So just when I, I also read a little bit of the Wikipedia and I was like, it was mostly improvised. I was like, Oh no. Like I'm actually worried <laughs> about some of the, the performers in this. So it's You know yeah.
0: I, I have to imagine though that like that they're taking a bit of a liberty in in posing it that way. You know, like you cannot accomplish the technical aspects of this movie in improvisation. You can't. It's impossible. Yeah. So I, I think, think the suggestion uh, yeah. is more that like the the ideas of the character's structure, narrative, events, etc., came out of improvisation, but ultimately somebody had to go, okay, here's what the movie now is going to be. Now we have to figure out the technical aspects and shoot it. Yeah.
1: And maybe
0: I- maybe there's some middle ground liberties being taken within the takes of shooting. But like There's no way – I don't know. I would be very shocked to to imagine that within a take, they didn't all know 90% of what they needed to be doing.
2: Right. You can't do it, especially
0: with those
1: one takes, like – or one long takes. Yeah. Like you can't accomplish that in in improv. No. Right. Though, you know, doing it in um, chronological order, that – it helps, helps with all right. that in an interesting way. But um, I think I know the only thing for sure that was like maybe truly improvised by them, it sounds like, like just letting them go and then make something on their own was shooting that that main opening dance number was filmed in 16 takes. So it took until the last two to get, those were the two usable like ones where they kind of did it Jesus. all. But in essence, those earlier takes were them the, where the dancer is sort of coming up with it, choreographing it on their own, just letting them go in that sense, wow. improvising sense. It's um, pretty amazing. Carly, I'm curious to ask like a follow up question on, on what you were saying, as far as like that that giving actors just enough so they aren't then so they have it sounds like as you know how you're maybe what you're saying was like it's important for once you're coming off the set or have your lunch break or whatever or leave the project you have some kind of separation where in the end, you know, you were doing this as the character or as the movie. So, so is, is a way to accomplish that just by having as many sort of signposts or clear end goals for where you have to go? Like, how can you facilitate that when you want this sort of improvised feel and them to sort of, you know, bring as much as they can to it? Like, even to the point where, let's say you want to say to an actor, like, you know, what do you think not you would do, but what do you think this character would do in all these or situations? Right. You that's, know?
2: that's a great question. And I love that because as a director, I'm very collaborative with actors. Like I think all pr- performers bring their own brilliance that I can't predict, you know? Um, and so I think there's got to be room to work with them. But the way you kind of set that up for success is is to create um, essentially a container. of be like, you know, understand what everyone's boundaries are and be like, cool, this is the container we're operating in, which maybe is like, you know, even if we're doing this improv dance, nobody's going to put their hand on anyone else's crotch. You know, even something like put that boundary up there. And then everyone's like, Mm. cool, I know I can be free and flow and move and nobody is going to touch me there. Or maybe somebody has a different boundary and we add that on. Um, And then also always the, the second thing would be giving everyone always like, which I know is trickier on film, um, a way that they can tap out or like call uh, a button, as as we often call it, or like a kind of a safe word, or like a just where they, it's just like I need to pause for a moment, maybe because I ran into a boundary that I didn't know I had, or like we need to adjust this. Um, so it's like giving building the container, giving people like a chance to to push the button if they're if it changes, and then at the end have a kind of like derolling or ritualized closure process, which. In theater, I specifically, in my practice, I build it into rehearsal and ask actors to, like, continue it in performance. Um, But it can absolutely be built into a film set as well, where it's just, like, uh, two, two pieces. Sorry, one, backtracking a little, being mindful about how you talk to actors about the character. Like, instead of just saying, you, you, you... I always before I go into that I say I'll talk with the character's name like this person would do that or maybe I'll say now I mean you as the character you're playing not you as the actor you know just like the the mindfulness of language is very powerful and then the derolling at the end as I mentioned which is just like helping give an actor some tools to like reground their self themselves after and to help them develop some kind of just like simple ritual whether it's you know, taking off a costume piece um, while they, like, have kind of a affirmation or a visualized releasing of their character. Something with, like, a little mental, spiritual, a little physical, where you just practice this, like, small gesture. Different moments need different amounts of it, but just to, like, what if we created this as part of a practice so that we're not pressuring actors to be like, ooh, the trauma of your character has to, like, live in your body the whole time between... You know, for our whole like week of shooting or whatever that is.
1: For, um, that's great for us, uh, curious filmmakers like myself and any other ones like me. Um, is do you have uh, a way you can describe how that could look for on a film set where, let's say, you know, you have 20 crew people hanging around, but let's say, you know, you only have one or two actors in a scene? It's harder to sort of maybe, um, facilitate a sort of collective stepping apart, but how could you still give the actors who, you know, occupy that smaller space, still give them that, that space or moment? Oh, that's
2: such a good question. I mean, I think part of it is, is taking the time before you're on set, like one of your rehearsals with the actors to be like, Hey, we're going to like build this practice. And then when we're done shooting you, we'll make sure we get you everything you need, including like space in like 10 minutes to do this like little ritual together or by yourselves Um, So even if you are not, you don't, the director doesn't have to always be there to necessarily facilitate it, but it's just if you kind of set them up with like tools in rehearsal and say, okay, and then we're going to make sure that we don't start, that you have a break before the next thing that we do um, so that you can kind of have this moment to ground and recalibrate yourself, uh, especially if it's the end of the day. Like if, you know, if you're really Mm -hmm. like going all day, sometimes actors will be like, no, I want to, I need to stay in that zone. Um, But you got to have something like at the end of the day or before you release an actor. So just reminding them or being like, hey, we have space, even if it's like, cool, this bathroom is free or this like extra room and like, uh, or like, here's a little spot outside, like, go ahead. And before you go home, please take a, a few minutes to take care of yourself like this. Remember what we did in rehearsal.
1: Got it. So it could it could be as much as just like letting the AD know and the actors know like, hey, like there's always gonna be that five, ten minutes available for, you know, I, I'm thinking of these scenes, you let me know if that sounds good, if these scenes and is is there is there also a, um, if that's a sort of stepping out of something and giving space transition out of something, is there also the equivalent coming into to something? Yeah,
2: I mean, with that, I feel like actors are more trained in how to step into something than how to step out of something. We're like, and directors are, are often more trained in, okay, this is how we get an actor to this place. And then we just leave, <laughs> leave them to figure it out. So I like, when I direct, I like to bookend and I'll like, you know, start with a five or 10 minute warm up. Um, or in rehearsal, you know, helping an actor find their way to to bookend their their derolling or their their ritual is kind of like maybe it's a costume piece. Uh, you know, if it's like the wig that they wear is the character, they're kind of maybe make eye contact in their mirror and put on the wig and like summon the character. You know, all my practices are kind of like weird and witchy, um, but like summon. You know, breathe them kind of in, invite them to your vessel, and then you know you can go. And, and operate and know that at the end, you're going to have the space to, to bookend it and look at yourself in the mirror, take off the wig, see your own face and your own hair, you know, and kind of visualize releasing them.
0: I think that's super important. It just, you know, I haven't, I haven't been in the acting game (laughs) for quite a while now, but I do remember that being a really important thing. Even, even like for an audition, Yeah. You know, being able to say, oh, like, you know, whether I think it was I don't know which which teacher it was back in the day that that emphasized this a lot. But I did have one or two that were very specific about like when you are when you are working on your craft, find those things as a ritual that you do to know that this is the phase of the day that I'm doing this thing. Whether it be physical things like putting on that pair of shoes. Um, That was all – for me, shoes is a good one. It's like a – it's a good like indicator for me as an actor to be like, oh – it's weirdly metaphorical and literal, (laughs) right? Like different shoes feel different ways. I have lots of different types of shoes. So like I would know if this character that I'm about to step into – wears cowboy boots like i should put the cowboy boots on like that's gonna help me and then i'm going to take them off when i'm done with that audition and leave that audition behind or whatever like whatever the scenario is i think that's really valuable i don't i don't know that a lot of people do that i'm not sure a lot of actors i know do that
2: no it's it's often not not part of like training you know and so we're just trying to trying to shift the culture to be like, cool, taking care of yourself and your mental health is actually making sure your instrument is can be used with longevity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's really interesting to think about how you cultivate that on a film set.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Carly, do you have any more specific thoughts? I mean, this is cause I know this is a whole <laughs> topic for another podcast at the same time, but maybe just using, you know, time back to climax. Like, let's just say, you know, let's just assume or I'm going to assume the worst or assume the best about what may happen mm-hmm. on this film or how they executed it. But let's just say, like, if you were there, what are some things you would have liked to see? Maybe
2: uh, I mean um,
1: d- that you maybe it, you didn't already talk about. I know we've already covered a lot of <laughs> a lot of it, but.
2: Oh, gosh. Um I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is is having the conversations in rehearsal and taking the time to be like, look, I know time is money on a film set. And this is like v- very valuable and expensive. But here we're going to create a culture where we value people over money and materials. And so it's to me, it says a lot as an, to an actor to take the extra time to just have that conversation and be like, how are you feeling about this scene? You know, like, uh the making sure expectations are clear, like this is what's expected that we need to tell this part of the story. Um, you've communicated your boundaries. And so nobody's going to touch you here, here and here. Or maybe a boundary could be verbal. It might be like, you know, an actor might be like, oh, you know, especially if they're improvising, please don't this word or this phrase maybe is too triggering for me. So we're going to take that out just in the same way we're taking out like any hands on the front of someone's pelvis. Um, so it's just kind of having investing in having those conversations um, and uh, on the front end you're really like front loading yourself for success when you're actually kind of in the midst of the chaos of and madness of filming and that that high pressure situation like like we were talking about like It's definitely not the same as like mob mentality, but there can't, that's where coercion can happen when people are like, ah, like I didn't get to think about this. And, uh, I guess I just have to say yes in this moment. So like really front loading and investing in the conversations before you're in like the high pressure time period of actually filming, um, rehearsal, rehearsal is, is great.
1: It's It's almost like uh, an extenuation of the actual contract one does when having a film. It's like you continue that conversation in a way of the stuff that just doesn't get included in the kind of our our literal nuts and bolts contracts. Right,
0: exactly. It's funny, you know, Um, in my experience on a film set, the things you're describing in a lot of ways are very built in to the crew. And something that like my... The team that I work with, we we emphasize with the crew that we have these conversations at the onset at, at, of every day and at the end of every day. And it's interesting that, like, I'm realizing that maybe we – the culture of, of filmmaking ha- sort of takes a little bit for granted that aspect within the actor's point of view because it's presumed that it's built in for them already. So, like, you get to set – as an actor, often you're you have sort of a handler or a, a PA or somebody who takes you to wardrobe and takes you to or your trailer first, then to wardrobe, then to makeup or vice versa or whatever. And that that phase of your day is what you're describing it to to be given to them to get them in that headspace. But I think it's 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 an important note from a filmmaking point of view that like we as the filmmakers need to be mindful that. It can't just be a given thing that while they're doing their thing, getting ready on their own, they're establishing that stuff for themselves. Like we need to participate as the filmmaker with them just as much as we're participating with the crew to have that conversation because like safety is so, so important on a film set. And that's really overtly addressed with the crew because they're because it's. It is nuts and bolts like they're picking up stuff, putting stuff down, moving stuff. It's very like concrete, you know, like we can we understand that from a really like literal literal standpoint. A literal physical
2: safety. Yeah.
0: Right. From a mental standpoint with the people who are doing the the mental heavy lifting, that conversation needs
1: to be had, too. Um, So I think it's really important. It's like the it's yeah, the equivalent of the if the director is already asking The DP, hey, can this crane uh, get this low in this shot? (laughs) You know, it's like exactly. uh, Can can the
2: hand go to this part of your body in the shot? Uh, No, (laughs) okay, cool. And I really believe that artists are creative and resilient and smart enough to tell any story while respecting actors' boundaries. Um, and and uh. (laughs) <laughs> as I continue to, to tangent on this, but like if there's a thing that you know, you're like, this is a make or break for me. I need an actor who can do that. Then it's your responsibility to communicate an auditions so they can make informed consent and be like, right. okay, if I'm saying yes to this, that means I know that this is necessary for the story, for the, for the role. Um, and, and I think giving actors uh, a small amount of time to check in with each other really helps Mm. as well. Like, again, it could just be like five or 10 minutes for them to do like a little warm up together or like get on the same level. uh, Because I think chemistry is just the ability to practice being present and vulnerable with somebody else. And sometimes if you give an actor, actors, two actors together, like a five or 10 minutes to just kind of check in and warm up and be able to be like, oh, this is slightly different today, or I feel a little bit different you're going to, again, you're front-loading yourself for success when you're actually in the pressure of shooting that they are in the best place to do that work.
1: Yeah, that's great. So maybe a a very literal takeaway, too, would be there's always time to ask someone if they need time.
2: Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) It's just like, it's getting out of that scarcity mentality and being like, okay, if we want to do this right, we're going to make enough time to do it right
1: and Carly, that's the perfect way to connect this to our state of the world and what we need in politics, I think. <laughs> that's a great way to pull it. Let's leave that mindset of scarcity. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. There's We we have enough for everyone if we actually would look at it and take care of each other.
1: Mm. Um well, the last little thing I had down just in that things to note from Wikipedia too was kind of like what we already surmised and what I was saying worked for me, but was indeed the director's intent. He claims that the film was more about the impact fear can have on people than it was about drug abuse itself. He also denied that the film had any kind of moral agenda pointing out that it is it is, quote, not necessarily the most aggressive ones that get punished. It is mostly about a collective screw up. So they, yeah, group, group as protagonist. That was interesting. That yeah, is cool. It's um, very cool. But did either of you have any just sort of things of note where that maybe not necessarily about the production or last things just that you observed about the film were interesting, neither good nor bad?
0: No, it's not really.
2: Just a, a wild ride. Like it's, it is yeah. a roller coaster to, <laughs> to of an experience yeah. to go on quite, quite literally.
0: I will say right. if you haven't seen Irreversible, uh, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> it's it, fair. I think fair warning. It's it's a good movie. I think it's um, it's really really well done and it's really interesting. But it, it, be warned, it is extraordinarily upsetting, and so. If you're going to watch it and I, you know, I think it's 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 worth watching, just be be ready cuz it's super super upsetting on multiple levels and maybe maybe read a little bit about it before you dive in cuz it's it's hard
1: hard to watch. And um On a horror podcast, Tim, that's just like the best sell you can make. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm I'm fascinated. I also I just like opened the page and was like, okay, like it's. I was like, I do want to know in what way this is upsetting, so that I can go in with like the right mindset to receive it, like informed consent when I choose to watch this
0: story. I will tell you without (laughs) without saying anything. Just and you don't know me to to know what like the context of this. I. There is there is a sequence in that movie that I openly wept throughout. Like, it was so difficult to watch. And I just sat there, like, overwhelmed with how intense it was and upsetting. <laughs> so, you know,
1: take that for what it's great. worth. Yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> See this movie. No, <laughs> Totally. That's no, no. I, I, and I, I only hear great things about um, Enter the Void. Uh two I have been told I'm it's up trying my I don't remember alley, which so one checking enter the that void out. is It's another oh, I believe like oh, oh, yeah. no, psychedelic oh, themed yeah. one or oh,
0: it, that's a tough one too Cool Uh but yeah it's really good
1: Well oh, yeah. with all that <laughs> With all that we will put a bow on a climax thank you climax Ding. and to ease into our finishing up here, uh we start with <laughs> we start to finish <laughs> with our recommended shins if you've been consuming, <laughs> watching, reading, eating anything you'd like to recommend dead, Carly will start with our guest. oh uh
2: is it recommended does it have to be kind of like horror themed or just anything not uh, at all at oh, all i did our mac most and extreme ones. Ones. Mm, i yeah. made french onion mac and cheese last night is comfort oh food it's really good um i would recommend dead two two things well so i i a couple of weeks ago uh watched the vow uh the new mm. uh <sighs> HBO docu series, which is you know definitely look into it and get get a content warning before you consent to consume it. But it was very fascinating. It was very upsetting, but like really fascinating and very well done. Um, since especially because when y'all were mentioning like cult mentality, uh oh, it's, it's that one. It's I want to see that. Really, right, right, right.
0: I've watched like six episodes yeah. of it. It's
2: it's ooh. it's a lot. Yeah, but it's so, yeah. I I I had the like. I want to watch more and I need to watch cartoons after as well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I, it was, I thought that was, that was very, very fascinating. And, um, uh, Oh, I just finished a, um, second book in a, in a series. Uh, the series called the children of blood and bone. It's like, it's a young adult fantasy series that I totally would have read growing up. And it's, Really fantastic by a uh, Tomi Adeyemi. So if you want some like great escapism fantasy, but also that has really relevant themes, um, that's an easy read. Is that that series is awesome?
1: Wait, is it like trolls and elves fantasy or sci fi fantasy? No, what it's, are we talking it's about?
2: Magic and it's um, mm. based on like um, African religion and um magic oh yeah practices. yeah and uh it's but it's like a, a this other fantasy world and so it's definitely it's it's humans with magic um cool but humans cool persecuting each other because of magic or lack of magic it's really it's a really good series
1: nice awesome well uh tim should i go or what do you got what do you want to hear i just watched a movie uh
0: i think i watched it on halloween i think it was on halloween uh, I was looking for something, you know, you know, Halloween-y, and uh, I stumbled – I th- believe this was on Shudder. I'm almost certain it was on Shudder, uh, a, a movie called Haunt. And w- I, we had gone through – we probably started three or four movies before we got to Haunt and stopped them because we were like, this is shit, this is <laughs> shit. We finally got to Haunt, and we were like, oh – Mmm, this might be fun, and it it was. It was fun. It was just the right amount of like kind of fun like in a in a goofy, not goofy, but in a self-aware way. Um, but the basic premise is that a group of friends uh I think they yeah, they leave one party and they kind of accidentally stumble upon a haunted house like you know like a like it's on halloween so they it's a in the in the woods kind of haunted house immersive experience place and they go in and you know it's a maze and there's different rooms like a you know a good good haunted house has and there's different stuff that you get to like put your hand in and feel the bowl of whatever that kind of stuff but it it quickly uh goes south for everybody and it's very fun it's got that kind of like it's got a little bit of you remember that movie the collector yes where it's sort of like it's very cat and mouse there's booby traps and there's kind of like how are we going to turn this around to get away from the bad guys and we're in this confined space and there's different rooms and different like elements to it and who's going to survive kind of stuff. And it, it was good. I was surprised at how good it was actually. I, I quite enjoyed it. It has nobody I've ever heard of in it. Um, I kind of vaguely recognized the, the filmmakers names and now I, I can't remember who they were. Um, but yeah, it's worth it for
1: sure. It's definitely on Shutter. Yeah. Indeed. Haunt. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I will recommend Dead just because it's celebrating its 50th year anniversary and just got a, a re-release, remastered re-release because of it. The seminal Grateful Dead album, what they're most probably famous for, studio album-wise, called American Beauty. And it's just one of my favorite, like, any Deadhead's favorite, like, hey, listen to this. Um, You get something out of it every time kind of thing as also made famous to a lot of people my age uh, in Freaks and Geeks. Lindsay Weir receives the album from her guidance counselor and (laughs) uh, she has a great time. (laughs) And it's just one of my favorite scenes. Um, And yeah, I always get something out of it. There we go. All right. All right. Well, that's it for recommendations. So we got to decide. Sorry, Carly, you won't be joining us for next week. But we do have to pick our episode for next week. And Tim, Tim will be pulling it. But Carly, since you are here as our guest, can you do us the honors? Normally, we would have you pull from the hat yourself. But can you tell (laughs) Tim when to stop? Okay,
2: perfect. This is a a no contact pull. (laughs) Stop. We got two. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right, let's see. I think I've heard of this. Can you see it?
2: Tideland from 2005, directed by Terry
1: Gilliam. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. If Terry Gilliam has something that falls under horror, then clearly I wanted to see it for this podcast, so Great. I'm <laughs> excited. Awesome. Great. Well, uh... Carly, could you fill us in on where to find your podcast and anything else to, to learn about you and connect to your oh, world?
2: sure. Yes. Um, if you, if you want to learn more about uh, the, the intimacy profession, intimacy choreographers, um, you can check out Intimacy Choreography in Conversation with Anne and Carly. Um, and that's going to be available most places that you can find podcasts. So Spotify, uh, Apple. I heart radio, I think, <laughs> but if you, if you look it up um, and if you search that, you can find us on social media too. Um, yeah. But this was, this was so awesome. This was so fun to talk to you both about this, about this awesome movie.
1: <laughs> us too. Us too. And yeah, everyone, please check out her podcast. It's great. I love any podcast that seems like it's at the forefront of something very uh, interesting, new, something that uh, hasn't been talked a, a lot about and just diving right into it. So, um, yeah, recommend. <laughs> Even though I didn't recommend that, I'm recommending it. Uh, Carly, we loved having you here so much. Thank you for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. And as always, too, you can find us, Dismembering Whore, wherever you found us. <laughs> so, in closing, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening.